What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Tulsa Link, your favorite locally based podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and this is the show where I roll around green country and talk to various entrepreneurs, business leaders, community leaders, anyone that's trying to make a difference or just doing their own thing in this little slice of heaven we call home. As always, go back and make sure to check out some of the older episodes. They're not time sensitive, so the content is just as good the day it was released as it is now, albeit, you know, maybe the uh, listening quality is a little bit better as I've sort of learned my way around audacity since then. But (laughs) anyway, um, I do want to really quick repeat the announcement that I made last episode. There are there is currently a duplicate of the show on iTunes and Spotify. I'm going to be deleting one of them and keeping the other one. So make sure you're subscribed to the correct one. The correct one is the Tulsa Lately podcast, and it has the name of the show in big white lettering in the profile picture. The other one has a blank profile picture, and I will be deleting that one. So, subscribe to the correct one. Anyway, this time around, I speak with a modern-day blacksmith. That's right, he, he specializes in making knives, and... I mean, these things are very sharp, they hold their edge, they can withstand a lot of abuse, but you look at it and you almost don't want to do anything with it because it's so beautiful, it's so cool looking, it's a it's a work of art, there's no other way to say it. So this guy was featured on Forged in Fire, which is a blacksmithing competition show, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but yeah, let's just jump into it. So without further ado, enjoy. All right, so I'm here in the shop of Helton Custom Knives <laughs> with the founder himself. Why don't you introduce yourself real quick? Hi, everybody. My name is Billy Helton, Helton Custom Knives here in Claymore, Oklahoma, America. All right, and how long have you been making knives? Not, not necessarily professionally, but just ever. Man, not nearly long enough. I've been doing it since 2006, my first introduction to a knife making. Okay, and... Uh, how, how did you get into it? That just seems like such a sort of obscure skill to pick up. Man, it's quite the story. So long story short, I used to have a race car, and I drove race cars sliding high banks for about four or five years, and I got too expensive. So one day, I sold all my stuff. So one day, I'm in Claremore, and I see this blacksmith just demonstrating, and I'm like, dang, that looks pretty cool. So I started blacksmithing for a while, and then I run across knives, and I'm like, well... Here we go. Let's go to the new world, you know. So I got into knife making from the blacksmithing side of it. Okay. Okay. What was, I mean, what was the first thing you smithed? Is that, would that be how you say it? Yeah, it was the first thing. Yeah, what it was, was like the first thing where you step back and you're like, wow, I did that. That's awesome. Yeah, drive hook, which is uh, something uh, colonial people would have made for log cabins. It's uh, okay. If you want to hang up a dish rag, you made a drive hook to hammer into the logs. That's basically what I made for a long time. All right. You can learn a lot. Just kind of like hone the use of the tools before. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Because you would be surprised. There's more than one way to use a hammer. And (laughs) it's not like driving a nail. It's like totally something totally different. You've got to move your hammer away with your anvil, with your hand. Just a whole combination. And it's hard to learn. It takes a long time. Okay. So how long before you felt comfortable in your skills that you sold stuff? Um, pretty shortly. I mean, you give a lot of stuff away for a couple of years and okay. then after that you're like, this is getting kind of expensive too. So you start <laughs> selling stuff very cheaply. 
So I've got guys that I sold some of my first knives to for 25 bucks, and they won't let me buy them back, you know, because they're they're probably worth more than that at this point. But <laughs> I I wouldn't even I can't even buy handle material for 25 bucks nowadays. So pretty okay. interesting. Yeah. Now that is that is something that I had wondered. What what are the materials where and where do you get the materials to do these kinds of things? Well, that's a good question. So mainly blade or knife shows. I go to a lot of knife shows, um, generally just as a consumer buying material because that's where all the people are together. Um, suppliers like Mammoth Ivory, four, five, ten thousand year old Mammoth Ivory. You don't just find that every day. No, um, Mammoth <laughs> Tooth. You, there's just stuff that you can only find at the shows, or you okay. know, some purveyors. We call them purveyors um, that you can order from. But a lot of the handle material, the wood. I make myself. Well, I don't make the wood. The Lord makes the wood, but I I <laughs> stabilize it and cast it in resin and all these colors. So I make the final product that goes onto my knife. Okay, cool. And uh, how long from start to finish, handle, blade, everything, does one, let's say your most base knife? My base knife will have about seven hours in. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's, so your base price is around 200 bucks. And sometimes people will be like, what the world? What's well, seven hours of time? Because Plus, they're used to seeing the ones in the glass case in the gas station absolutely. for twenty bucks, and they're like, "What? Two hundred dollars for a knife?" Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a mentality. Yeah. Yep. But uh, you were saying about you know the effort that it takes. Man, there's so much effort. There's a, uh, you know, seven hours of time sounds like not a lot, but a lot. But there's a lot of hard. I mean, you give up a lot to be a knife maker. It's not very healthy. There's a lot of contaminants, a lot of cancer-causing epoxies or resins. Really? Um, you try to wear a mask as much as you can. Even the coal, that, when we're burning coal, there's a lot of that dust that you're breathing. You know, coal miners used to die of the black lung all the time. So oh, there's sure. you try to keep a lot in your mind as you're doing this because it's not the very safe job. I mean, really, and I've been burnt, cut, stabbed with my own knife. I mean, there's a lot of risks that go into that. So you got to pay a little extra for my stitches. <laughs> and you buy nine. Everybody does. Ah, because it's an extra sharp blade. It's an extra good quality, so quality cuts. Is ah, what there you're you saying. go. Right? Right. Is that what you're saying? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's good. So, um, I mean, I guess what, and we don't have to get too specific, but I'm just curious, what kind of volume do you do? Do you more, uh, do you sell more in Tulsa, like in the local area, or do you do a lot of online sales? I think 70% of my sales typically come from off online from my website or Facebook. Okay. Um, the rest of it, I have a few shops locally, one in Tulsa. A few shops? Do what? You have more than one shop? Well, that I, no, that I sell from. Oh, okay, um, okay, I see. Um, there's a haberdashery in Claremore. It's a okay. men's shop. They sell them a gun store in Pryor, um, gadget shop in Tulsa. There's just a few places that carry my knives. But mostly I have a lot of people that just, hey, you got anything? My dad wants a, his birthday present, and they'll swing out here and grab it. So, uh, or it's not mostly, but that's about 30% of it. The rest of it gets shipped. Most of my stuff is shipped out. Okay. So you were telling me a little bit about uh, some of your, one of your customer acquisition strategies. I wanted you to talk about it more <laughs> right here. You're saying, you know, a lot of people go straight for, go straight for the men, trying to sell the knives to the men, but... But you, it's a little different for me. So there's not, there's probably only ten percent of your knife makers that are actually full time makers, and they make their living off of that. Interesting. Which, 
Um, some guys call their SEALs full-time, but they may have retired from the military or retired in their early 50s or mid-50s. And so they, they're full-time makers, but they have a very good salary coming in already. I'm not like that. So I have to be – there's so many knife makers nowadays with the introduction of Forged and Fire and all of that stuff. Everybody's a knife maker, it seems like. So I have to find – the key to any business is finding your your niche. Where can you sell at? So I've kind of developed me and my wife – um, we have tended to try to capture women as the buyers. They're not the end user, <laughs> but a guy sometimes won't buy a $200 die for himself, but his wife will buy that knife for him for an anniversary gift or a uh, ah. birthday present. And so without letting the cat out of the bag, we, how we, we go after that clientele. Okay. Um, we do very good with it, especially with the use of Facebook. That's really helped us. Okay, cool. Yeah. They're good. Ladies are awesome, man. They're easy to deal with. Guys are, bless our hearts, we're so particular, want the same, you know. <laughs> if the wife gives it to the husband, he loves it. But if he buys it from me, he's got five suggestions for how it could have been better. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. So true, though. So yep. true. Yep. But uh, you kind of mentioned you kind of mentioned with the popularity of Forged and Fire and stuff, uh, I, I saw a plaque walking up. You were on you were on Forged in Fire, that uh, the blacksmithing show on the History Channel. Yep, Forged in so, Fire, season one, show one, very first. We, are, we literally started the first episode. Yeah, we start. Wow. So a little bit of disclaimer there. We were actually the third episode to film, so two other crews had already filmed before us. Okay, but it was just because of our dates of being able to arrive. I think, but we were actually the first one televised. Yeah. That's, pretty crazy that's that's pretty cool i mean what was that what was that like so here's the thing anybody that was on the first season they've got some kahunas if you ask me because we knew nothing we knew that we were going to new york city well the bronx brooklyn we were going to brooklyn we was going to forge a weapon and we were going to be judged and we had a time limit other than that we didn't know crap i mean literally did not know anything the first day we we thought this is about four o'clock so we figured you know all the uh, union people they're fixing to go home and all that stuff no we walk into this studio and the forges are going and we're looking at each other all four of us like what's going on here they didn't let us look around nothing go get behind your anvils and let's go and really so, yeah there was no like little introductory green room where we talked <laughs> no no <laughs> just threw you in there they gave us a lot of rules to follow sure um, and told us how not to hurt our safety guys and our cameras men but Nope, it wasn't anything else. So, moral of the story is all of us guys, the first season, we walked in blind. Right. Second season on, it got a little bit easier because you, you kind of have an idea of the the way it's going to go, where sure. some of the tools are, what tools they have, what are the judges' attitudes. Uh, you know, there's a lot more. So, being on the first season was kind of challenging. You don't really have any homework to do. <laughs> now you can do your homework before you go on. Yeah, before, now we, for nowadays. you, there wasn't any homework to do. Uh-uh. No, yeah. we knew we was going to forge a weapon. And nowadays, they kind of say, okay, hey, you might look into these three kind of weapons. Why? Because you're going to forge one of them. Uh, okay, you know, they okay. kind of give them a little bit of a heads okay. up sometimes. Sometimes they don't, but most generally, I think what that's what they're doing. Okay. And then I guess, you know, I just realized there might be people here that have never heard of this. What, what, why don't you explain really quick what the show is? So, Forged and Fire is pretty crazy. It's a time judged event and it's basically no different than the olympics they give us a a forge and a hammer and an anvil and say here's what you're going to forge and this is how much time you've got to do it 
Now, with that being said, we're not making great knives in that in that amount of time. Three hours is not enough time to make a knife by sure. any means, but we do it. We do it to the best that we can under those kind of circumstances. Now, they, it's TV. they got to make ratings, so there, there's things that you do <laughs> that you normally wouldn't do, you know. But it's just a challenge. Like it's materials not, you work with and stuff? Absolutely, okay. yeah. And the biggest thing is just think if you was, a, we'll say if you was a wife, and someone said, okay, go over there and make this amazing cake in somebody else's kitchen. You don't know where anything's at. You don't. You might spend five minutes looking for the right teacup or right. something, you know. <laughs> so it even makes it harder. And uh, it's, it's really fun, but you may have somebody that's made 12 knives beat out a master smith of 30 years the reason being is because of all of those circumstances that you have no idea this guy's looking for a drill bit the other guy that's been making knives three years found it a lot quicker just by chance than the 30-year master's <laughs> yeah. so it really goes back to that it's not a it's just it's a fun game pretty much okay. yeah how did you how did you hear about it? If it had never been a thing before. I'm sorry I'm like yeah. fixated on no, this. No, it's cool, portion. isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah, cool. It's so so what happened was uh I got an email one day from this Forged and Fire group and you're getting scam emails. All everybody does, you know. They reached out to you. Yeah, they reached Whoa. out and so they did how they did that is I'm a journeyman smith at the American Bladesmith Society. Okay. There's just a little over two hundred of us worldwide right now. Oh wow. There's a apprentice journeyman smith and master smiths and so uh they reached out to the american bladesmith society and said hey can we get some of you guys's information to so we can try to contact them we're a legit deal so they got our emails from them okay so i get this email from forge and fire and i just i didn't even open it i said ah, what the, no uh-uh. and i just <laughs> trashed it well a good friend of mine up in columbus kansas phil evans and uh he he called me one day he says hey Man, I'm going, Ike, I'm going to be on Forged and Fire. I was like, what the hell's Forged and Fire? And he's like, well, it's a, it's going to be a, a competition, knife making and all that. So where'd you get? He's I got an email. I'm like, heck, I got an email about that. So <laughs> I already trashed it. And so I was like, dude, can you send me your email? So I sent a reply through his link. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and got on. I appreciated him letting me do that. You know, he didn't have to, so. Um, yeah, we did all the interviews, the Skype interviews, and all that stuff. And um, oh, they do like a vetting process. Yeah. With you? Okay. Yeah, there's okay. some people don't get on, you know, but it's I don't know. It's just personality is way more important than what you can do because there's some guys that are freaking amazing knife makers that yeah. haven't got on. So I don't. But they're know. just a plank of wood as a personality <laughs> so yeah they, just not what they're looking not. for right you know? exactly they like the high energy high uh hey let's get her done type guy yeah. or the asshole or something that they know is going to be a they jerk they really and, like those yeah yeah because yeah. we yeah. know you got to have like one in every show that's just a jerk for no reason <laughs> <laughs> on the, on my shirt on the back of my shirt it says get your spark on yeah. and i do all my hashtags get your spark on where that came from was I'm not lively, but I can get kind of smart alecky, you know, and uh, make a long story short, my cameraman was getting in my way and the safety guy kept telling me to stop and you only got three hours and you're trying to get with it. So he got back in the way again and I just leaned into this knife and just showered this guy with sparks (laughs) and I was like on my knee and I leaned into it. I said, get your spark on. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So they showed it on TV and it's, that's where it came from. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. Get your spark on. That's awesome. It's pretty fun. That's cool. That's cool. 
All right, so how long has this been your main job that you do? Two and a half years, basically. Just two and a so half far. years? Just two All and a right. half years, yep. Wow. I had a uh, seamless guttering business for 24 years, and uh, I've always worked for myself. Okay, but um, that's cool. And then it just, this got built up enough to where I had to choose one or the other, and I chose this. So mm. a lot more, a lot funner. Yeah, most generally. So, so you, so you have, uh, you have a history of working with tools, working with your hands. That's what you've kind of always done. You're talking about having a seamless guttering business. That's some, that's that's some skilled. It's labor hands in on. Itself. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm not very educated. I went to high school, you know, but never went past that. But my hands was always what. So, you know, you go all the way back. to My dad had a seamless guttering business until I was 16. And I worked. I grew up. I didn't play sports. I worked with my dad, you know. Okay. So, man, dads have a pretty important uh, role in kids' lives, you know. And that's just what my dad taught me. And I still do it today. It's pretty crazy that um, my daddy's still interested in what I do. But it all goes back to him showing me how to weld and work on cars and all that stuff so hmm. hands-on cool Most so all right so so he taught you a lot of what you know and then you said that you would met someone else towards the beginning of when we were talking you were talking about that that kind of first introduced you to blacksmithing and that is he who kind of showed you the ropes so no, no, he wasn't. He, I only met him once or twice. Oh, okay. Um, he just sparked the interest. I seen him doing it, and I was like, "Hey, I'm a man. I can do that right there." And I, so, I guess I just don't know how you how you learn it. So, here's the thing: all the younger guys, they've got YouTube. YouTube's an. I use YouTube now by yeah. all means. Um, but you know, I think it was like 2009 before 2008, 2009 when YouTube launched. So. Right. I started in 2005, 2006. So the okay. first few years, the only way I had to learn was trial and error. And then there was a Ray Kirk, Master Smith out of Tahlequah. I went up on weekends sometimes and spent with him a little bit of time watching Rob Weber out of uh, Dewey, Oklahoma. He was kind enough to kind of give me some pointers and let me come down and invade his shop for a little while and learn some things, you know. But mostly you'd go and watch, and then you'd come back home and do and you'd have to do and do and do then one day you'd figure it out okay really it's still that way today even though you watch i, I teach classes here and even really? though yeah those huh. guys will walk in thinking i watched five youtube videos on how to do this on how to use a hammer and they're like what's going wrong here it's not i mean you can watch it all day long but to actually do it is two mm. totally different things mm. so it takes practice definitely most generally now, do you have a favorite? You have a favorite metal that you like to work with the most for blades when it comes to blades. Yeah, so I'm not a uh, I'm carbon steel guy, meaning okay, my stuff will rust if you don't take care of it. Um, I'm not a stainless guy. I don't do any stainlesses. What's the reason for that? Um, I just don't like it. It's 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 not inferior by any means. It has a different process. You don't forge stainless steel. Okay. I'm traditional where I use uh, propane and coal forges. I hammer my knives to shape with stainless steels. You just got to grind it to shape. Uh, you can okay. forge a little bit. Um, and then also there's some other variances that there's, you know, it's just, it's uh stainless can be more brittle sometimes. Sure. Uh, okay. 5160. When we passed our journeyman smith test, we have to make a 10 inch buoy that we can chop through a two before, um, shave or chop through a one inch sisal rope, 
still shave the hair on your arms and then put it in a vise and bend it 90 degrees without it breaking. Wow. No cracks, no nothing. You can't do that with stainless. Okay. But there again, stainless has its good points too. So it's not like stainless is a bad steel. It's just what I choose to work with is carbon steel. Okay. Now, when you're talking about how you're doing kind of journeyman's and craftsman <laughs> programs, just like an electrician or a plumber would, um, is that something, I mean, is that something that is sort of like a, a stamp of approval to help people, to help communicate to people that you are an expert in what you're doing? Or is it a license that you're getting to be able to do what you're doing? Well, that's a great question. Um, it's not a license by any means, but okay. here's the problem. There's so many ways to make a knife. They have guidelines. Your knife has to do this. Okay, you have to do it a certain way to get it to do that, pass these tests. And then you have to make five knives and take them to Atlanta, Georgia. And they're actually testing this weekend, Journeyman to Mastersmiths in Atlanta, Georgia, this weekend at the Blade Show. You have to submit these five knives to a panel of Mastersmiths, okay? So whenever you clear those guys, you're basically telling a, a, a purveyor or someone buying your knife that this guy has passed a master or a journeyman smith test meaning i had to go through qualifications to get there there's no license per se other than we get to put js on our knife okay Um, now with this with that said there's a lot of new knife makers that and i don't mean to dog on them but they don't know the right processes yet sure they're some guys are selling some junk and (laughs) so if you're a guy that's buying a knife for three hundred dollars let me put it this way. Would you take your car to a dealership or somebody that's under a shade tree? You know, under a tree, got a gym pole out there. You would probably feel better about going to the, an ASE certified mechanic. Sure. That's the yeah. same as a knife maker. Not not to, not that the guy, the shade tree mechanic ain't good, but you don't know which ones are good and which ones aren't good. Right. So that's a good way to put it hopefully so it is kind of just a way to sort of be like you can trust that the knife you're going to get is going to be good because i have this sort of because i have been trained in the arts so this way so let's go with that you can say you can trust that i know how to make one that's (laughs) good does that make because i've seen some journeyman smith actually put out some not so great work Huh. So it just, it's just one of them layers, you know, a a collector will seek out journeymen and mastersmiths sometimes before they, an unknown person, because they know this guy's work. At least he knows how to do it. Now it's my judgment of, did he do a good job or not? Okay. Now I don't really know, because I know that Oklahoma doesn't really give a crap at all when it comes to you know, knives being weapons or something like that. Are there any states that it's restricted at all in who you can sell to or ship to because maybe like, you know, the blade size or anything like that? Are there any sort of... Oh, yeah, there's blade sizes. There's restrictions like Texas now. You can have a dagger in Texas, but I carry a a four-inch dagger. I couldn't have sold that to... Well, I could sell it to somebody in Texas, (laughs) but they're not supposed to have it. Well... The bad thing about being a custom knife maker is your name's on that dadgum thing. Okay. You know? So if they could actually prove, if you don't know some of the rules, if a, a policeman can prove this guy has a receipt from you, he bought it in Texas or in Oklahoma, but you mailed it to Texas, there's paper trails. So you got to be careful about 
you could be liable for some stuff. So you um, could get in trouble for mailing a knife. I've always wondered that's that. With, I've always, what I understand. Blade Magazine carries some articles, and they actually have a knife advocacy um, that's trying to change some of these rules where we're not... It's scary to know that someone could sue me for something I didn't even do. Right. You know? um, so there's some there's some drawbacks to what I do. you got to be a little bit more careful. Like uh, switch blades, I don't make them. Okay. Front-end knives, I won't make them. Are they legal in Oklahoma? Yeah, they are. But there's a culpability of responsibility mm. to, you know, you know, for being in lawsuits that you can't foresee. So it's just safer for me not to. Hmm. Huh. Okay, I mean that makes crazy. sense. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Have you ever? Uh, have, I'm just curious, just because I keep seeing in the news about how British people and people in London are getting crazier and crazier with how far they're taking knife bans and stuff like that. Have you ever sold anything to anyone in the UK? Have you Never. ever sent one in the UK? No. No. Okay. Not to just, not the UK. <laughs> I was just curious. Uh, so you can send them. From what I hear, they don't always make it there. Their customs pick them up pretty good. Uh, um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, have you had people try to order them from there? I have not. Okay. Not from the UK. Right. No. I just didn't know a few. All right. Well, um, yeah. So, you got any repeat customers that you're just kind of like, how many knives do you need, man? I've got one guy. My propane guy. Yeah. Um, Prater Propane. He's probably got 13 knives. <laughs> I haven't bought propane in a long just time. Just yours? Just mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I have several guys. Like, So, I have a website also in it. I sell from there some. Also, I usually have anywhere from 8 to 15 knives for sale on there. And I don't even know some of these people, and I'll get an order. It's the same guy from four knives ago. It's just my knives are very affordable in, my, in the price range, and they're great gifts. And some guys, they just like giving them. Um, Glock, the gun Glock, yeah. uh, your pistols. The uh, sales rep for the Northeast region, he's bought like seven of my knives I say bot. You see a lot of Glocks running around my shop. <laughs> we trade, but we also buy them too, you know. So, yeah, there's repeat businesses. And it's it's more because they like you. It's not so much that my knife is any better than some of the other guys. But knife making and business in general is about selling yourself before your product because there's a bunch of product out there. Sure. Can you sell yourself? Do they like you? Do they like what you do? Do they like how you talk? I mean, do they like, you know what I'm saying? I've got, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I've had New York City people call me and I'm talking to them on the phone. And they're like, this ain't going to work. Because they know I'm Southern and I got this weird accident. <laughs> accent, and they may just think I'm a goofball, you know? I'm okay with that. That's their prerogative. But um, really, honestly, it is about um, who you who you sell to. I, I got a quick story, a Garth Brooks story for you. Oh, hit me. Garth Brooks story. Yeah. All right. So, you know, Garth Brooks lived, used to live in Owasso. Yes. So I've got this friend of mine. <laughs> His name is, is Mike, and he's from Louisiana. And uh, he's a great guy. I, I had never met him before. He, going back to repeat business, he had bought four or five of my knives. And one day he bought one, and he says, hey, this one's going to Garth, just letting you know. I'm like okay this is one of these guys i didn't even really i you know you get these guys that tell you whoppers sometimes yeah so i'm like okay well man thanks great you know send me a picture well he never sent me a picture so i always just figured he was shooting a bull you know just sure, kind of yeah. pulling my leg 
Uh, he ordered another one or two knives, and every time he'd say, "Hey, man, when I'm when I'm down in Claremore or Owasso, I'm gonna give you a holler, and all. you know, maybe you can come over and we'll eat lunch with Garth or something." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, great, you know, sure, buddy, yeah, yeah sure." <laughs> so I'm sitting here one day, phone rings, and look down, it's Mike, and I looked at my wife. I said, "Watch, well, she's probably gonna tell me come meet Garth," and I, "Hey, Mike, how you doing?" He said, "Man, are you busy?" I'm like, "No, nah, I'm just sit, kick back here in the chair, me and my wife," and he's like. You got time to come into town? I said, what town? Claremore. I'm like, yeah? Why? He's like, we're heading to Hugo's. I said, who's we? He said, me, Garth, and Trisha, and Trisha's mom. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And he's like, no, why? I said, I'm honest, I thought you was lying. He's like, no, man, come on in. We'll have lunch with you. Sure enough, dude, I get there, and the whole family's there. And wow. they, I go in, sit beside him, uh, Garth Brooks and Mike. Mike. So the long story is, Mike is Trisha's cousin, and Trisha Yearwood does a cooking video every year, and it's all family. So ah. they at least come in once a year, and I felt like a jerk because I thought he was just pulling my leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was a, it was an interesting, interesting conversation. Yeah, at the table that day, it's neat meeting everybody. All the whole family was just amazing, you know. Well, he must have really liked your knife <laughs> if uh, if he was, yeah. Garth, oh, yeah. Must have Garth right. liked it. Yeah. yeah. Sounds yeah. like it. All right. I'm trying cool. to get him down for a class. I'll keep telling Mike, bring him, bring him down. There's like about four of them wanting to come for a class one day. <laughs> so that would be way cool, wouldn't it? That would be pretty cool. Yeah. I might I might accidentally end up here for I know, a right? podcast. Or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. So I'm kind of curious. I always like to ask this because I feel like that people who handcraft things and stuff, they always, where they use kind of unique materials, a lot of them have stories of like crazy finds as far as materials go. Like you were talking about mammoth bone and stuff like that. Are there any other things like maybe for making the handles that you were just like, wow, I can't believe I, I can't wait to get home to work with this. I can't believe I found this. Yeah, so I just came back from from a trip from Montana visiting my dad. Okay, and uh, my boy went up there with me, and uh, he's twenty four, Cody. But anyway, we went up there. So while we're up there, we're up there for weeks. So we would, me and him, would go out in the mountains and look around. So we brought back wood from old mines. Um, one was from an old one cool piece of wood from an old railroad trestle um, that was built in eighteen seventy two. Oh wow! The the trestle itself, I mean, it's not used anymore, but. So, yeah, you go to places like this, and you just look around for unique material. Uh, me and my wife was driving around last Saturday and was over by Grand Lake, and the water's running big and seen a big old pile of driftwood, so we parked the truck and go digging through it, you know? <laughs> half, of the fun, half of the fun is finding that stuff. Um, I, I burn wood here, and I kid you not, I'm the slowest wood splitter because every piece of wood I split, I got to – look at it and be like oh is there something in there yeah. <laughs> it takes me forever but i do my own wood so i'm always looking for unique materials and um, especially i do a lot of blacksmithing work too and uh i use all kinds of stuff horse rasps just anything unique because there's a ton of ununique out there the same right. old thing so you've got to be different you got to be really different yeah yeah like you were talking about finding your niche and stuff uh-huh yeah absolutely so i even that like um, I got a trail sign over there. You can probably look over by the door, and it'll, you'll see it's got uh, hooks on it. That trail sign was off of the uh, Washita Trail. Old, old, old sign from probably back in the CCW age. You know when they built the trail, and it's I'm, I have tags, little tags made up. This is where I found it. This is where it came from, and then I put the little tag on that product. And so 
You're not only buying my work, you're buying a piece of that history, you know, where, okay. where it come from. Um, so that's kind of cool, too. When you that means a like lot that. in the market that you're selling to and stuff. The people oh, yeah. that like the handmade stuff, they love the story and the product. That's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it's important. I mean, you want to know it's nostalgia. It's, sure. We're getting back to that point. Bell Bottoms is not too far away. <laughs> <laughs> Already, yeah, the high waisted jeans have already been back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so weird. Whenever people, yeah, I'm resisting those high waisted jeans though. I'm just telling you, <laughs> I still, I still think they're mom jeans. I still, I've been calling them mom jeans since for a long time. That's that's still what I call them. So whatever. whatever. Not here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you got any trade shows or anything coming up? You want to promote? People can come see you at. Um, man, I got quite a few coming up. Next one is next. So I give back a lot too. Man, I make my living off of people. I'll just be honest with you, people pay me and that's what makes my living so i give back to that so like next saturday or next sunday father's day i'll be at first united methodist they have a big picnic going and i do a lot of demonstrations where i give my testimony and i go out i'm there's a i have a whole blacksmithing cart it looks like an old time wagon and i just pull it out there i'll be out there for four or five hours doing what i do but in public so that they can people love it man they'll i'll have kids come up and i'll let them forge a a nail, um, all kind of stuff. I'll just go out and have fun. Oh, and, that's uh, so cool. It's just kind of giving back, you know? Yeah. If you, if you catch too many fish and don't ever throw one back, then you don't have any fish after a while, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, that. yeah. And it's, I just enjoy it. It's I, I'm locked up out here by myself with the exception of podcast guys stopping by. I don't hardly <laughs> ever see anybody, you know? I mean, in some sense. So it's kind of nice to get out of the house and go out into the world okay cool um yeah i don't have too many other i don't have too many big shows i'm believe it or not if you order a knife i'm about six to eight months out if you okay. today so it takes a while so i'm so far behind i've had to kind of really cut back on my shows lately and uh, it's kind of weird i'm not i'm although my name is helton custom knives um i have found you got to be smarter than the average bear, you know, which I'm just barely smarter. But <laughs> although I make a lot of knives, there's so many knife makers that have came on board since Forged and Fire came about that I actually started making a lot of tooling for those knife makers. Because oh. you take the guy that works 40 hours a week and got two kids, he don't have time to stop and make grinding magnet or uh, tongs or all that stuff. He just wants to go out there and do the cool part, Okay. So I have started making all these tools and selling to those guys. I do the uncool, the repetitive stuff. Okay. They don't have to do it, and then they get to go right to the cool stuff. So even though I make knives, I make a lot of crosses. I make a lot of tongs, magnets, grinding jigs, um, a lot, anything, man, to make a dollar. You just got to keep it going, you know? Um, that, so, that's so cool. Yeah, it is. It's pretty neat. You get to meet a lot of people that way, and uh, keeps the day not so dull if you're always changing up you know you see me when you walked in i'm cutting a 55 gallon barrel which is going to be a a light barrel where you burn wood in it on your deck and you're going to see this cross with the big angels on it oh why do i do that because i was tired of making knives today so (laughs) (laughs) it's it's friday and i'm gonna do something a little bit different this afternoon okay i like that so do you do you sell pieces like that as well yeah just kind of like sort of decorative pieces yeah yeah, awesome. artsy fartsies, I call it. Okay, all yeah. right. <laughs> so I, I, we're really gearing up. Okay, here's the thing. I do a lot of orders, and I don't mean to, to say orders are bad, but 
orders are bad because they restrict any kind of arts or any kind of pro or what was creativity that you were going to do because you've seen this knife on Facebook that I made and you're like, okay, I want one. And then four other people say, I want one. So now you got to make five of the same kind of thing you just made. Mm. So mm. it really restricts your, your learning. I don't get to expand my knowledge very much. So we're going to have to go to more shows in like Mayfest. I want to go to Mayfest next year. So that's okay. kind of more on the artsy side, but that's, yeah. that's where I want to go. So that's what you do. Life's yeah. short. Yeah. Just go to all the shows you can. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. You betcha. All right. So where can people find you online? Uh, you can go to www.heltoncustomknives.com or Helton Forge on Facebook and uh, Helton Custom Knives on Instagram. See you there. Cool, cool, man. Hey, <laughs> thanks so much for having me out here. Like, you were... You are so good at what you do. It's fun. It's <laughs> like, fun. This is this is a, there's so many cool things hanging on the walls all over this shop and everything out there. So, yeah, so I, this has been a great time. The whole when I got into teaching classes, that's I built this shop for classes. Is that my wife out there? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's I, I teach this. I, I we, me and her built this shop for four classes, and we made it kind of cool. It cost a lot more to make it cool, but it is pretty cool in here. I'm pretty. I got a pretty good job. Yeah. No, hey, thanks yeah, for coming all the way out, man. That's hey, yeah, way no problem. Not, not, not too far. It was yeah. worth it. Cool. All right. And that does it for this episode of Tulsa Lately. You can find him on Instagram at Helton Knives as well as Facebook. And coming down the pipeline, I, I do want to say that I'm, I'm trying to be more consistent with when I release these episodes. The goal is to have two week, one on Tuesday and one on Friday. So now you can start watching for them to show up in your feed. You know when they're going to be there. And Friday's episode is going to be with Tulsa's only, Oklahoma's only, science shop. In fact, he claims it is one of the only science shops in America that's, you know, doing what he does. And if you're wondering what is a science shop, well, you'll have to listen to find out. It is a uh, pretty cool hobby store that true to his claim is like nothing I've ever seen before. So it was really awesome. We had a good conversation about science and culture today and yeah, should be good. So as always, follow me on my social media if you so please. And if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on the Tulsa Lately podcast, please email me at TulsaLately at gmail.com or just send me a message on social media. I'm pretty good about replying to all that. And if you'd also like to uh, get the first ever ad spot on the Tulsa Lately podcast, feel free to message me on those platforms as well. I've also got a little Patreon set up under the name, you guessed it, the Tulsa Lately podcast. If you'd like to be a regular supporter, line up some donate buttons coming soon. Who knows? And I guess that's all. So Tulsa and surrounding areas, I'll see y'all around.